Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to Initiated Survivor, where we connect to our fiercest fuck community of survivors and badassery ensues. I'm Kelsey Harper. I'm a clinical psychologist and survivor, and I love to bring us together to share our stories as well as practical tips to recover and reclaim our lives. As a community, we have truly formidable power to change our world, so thank you so much for being here. Here, we discuss topics relevant to survivors of gender-based violence. Some of these discussions may be triggering and contain adult content. Please be mindful of your needs throughout. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Initiated Survivor. Winter is upon us here in the Northern Hemisphere, so I hope that everybody is feeling cozy and comforted in their homes. And if not, I hope that this can maybe offer you some comfort today. I am bringing to you an interview that I did with Raina Legrand. I'm really excited to share this episode. It's really fascinating how we talk about the loss of identity that happens with trauma and how our trauma recovery can be similar to a controlled burn, as Raina says, of really repairing and healing the soil within us and nourishing it, but how restoring a sense of ourself through that healing process, as well as connecting to community can be so incredibly powerful. So I'm excited to share that with you today. So Raina Legrand is a mixed queer therapist, coach, and speaker based in Michigan. In her practice, she helps mixed people embody their identities with confidence and build the community they always dreamed of. She also helps intergenerational couples have brave conversations around identity, family, trauma, boundaries, and more. And she has so much powerful wisdom to share with us today about how we can connect deeply within ourselves and and through that connect with others. So welcome, Raina. All right. Welcome, Raina. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining me. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to our conversation. You know, I've learned more about you through some of the connections that we've made and conversations we've had, in particular, talking about a couple of things like how there can be a sense of a loss of identity when we experience trauma, especially sexual Mm -hmm. trauma. But then like one of the things that was so interesting that you said that we're going to talk about today was how through connection to community, we're able to rebuild or, or restore a sense of that. And this is something that I think has become a bit of a through line with my podcast and with some of the offerings that I'm building is the foundation is around community. And a lot of that has to do with like my own personal experience, you know, after I was assaulted, you know, there's, you know, the immediate aftermath with all all of the trauma symptoms and such that just made me feel like isolating a ton just with trying to manage that. But there was also this sense of like there's something about me that has completely made me other from everyone else and even though there is like this intellectual understanding of like and i talk about this a lot this intellectual understanding that there's so many survivors like i knew statistically like this was not a 
small community by any means and that likely like most of the people I was talking to probably have some experience with this and would understand but there is this sense of separateness and it took a while for me to feel backgrounded into relationships and it was actually through a support group that I found like randomly on meetup it just felt like such this weird universe moment because like I could not find you know support anywhere and then like was just on meetup and this group pops up and you know met some amazing people there and some people that I'm really close with still and I think what really struck me is is that it felt like especially as a psychologist it's like it feels very low tech in the sense of like it's a very simple intervention you go meet with people who are like you and somehow that 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 is very healing and reparative as opposed to all these complicated interventions we have for trauma but it was so transformative I think some of the most like powerful healing I still do with connecting with people that know me through that and the way of just being known very clearly of like obviously as I enter this room here with everyone we all share something that we know about each other. But yeah, like I, I think about for me, what the loss of identity was that like one of the most painful parts. What is it? What is some of your understanding about that, about the loss of identity that occurs with trauma like this? Yeah, there's so many levels to it. You know, I mean, I think about on a neurobiological level, different parts of our brain aren't talking. And so we experience life as different sort of fragmented parts of ourselves and not feeling sort of like our full whole self and feeling like we're not interacting with the world in the same way that we used to, or the world's not interacting with us in the way that it used to feel like for us. So there's that, you know, neurobiological piece. And then there's also, I think, such a like spiritual piece of how stabilizing it is to feel centered and grounded in who you are and also centered and grounded in that you are safe as you move about the world. And it just sort of like flips your whole world upside down and makes you question everything. And that's like, again, back to the neurobiological piece, out of necessity for us in a way to, for our bodies to be skeptical (laughs) instead of, you know, assuming that we are safe when we we walk into a certain room but it's like you said when when we know that on some level right that the others in that space know what it's like it's like we don't even have to talk about it sometimes it's just nice to be in good company mm-hmm. yeah i think especially what you're saying about the safety piece that it's so easy again, like as an intellectual exercise to compartmentalize, like what, what we experience as part of survivors of like, there's the safety issue, and then there's the emotional issue. And then there's the way that we think kind of issue and, and social issues. And we can separate all of those out. But what you're speaking to is how like, just quite literally, when our brain is put in a place of needing to constantly assess safety because it is in a place of safety was violated and in a way it's kind of stuck in that place of like there's threats everywhere that it just doesn't leave room for who we are to be expressed and that really resonated with me because I was thinking about all of the things that I might identify myself with or identify myself by of like here's how I see myself or here's how I know myself is showing up to a moment are things that would 
always take like probably like third, fourth or fifth seat to doing something around assessing safety, where it would be like even entering spaces where I'm not even myself isn't even present. It is really just like whatever my safe, my safe mask is to be able to be in that room with people. Exactly. We don't have access to these different parts of us that are playful and creative and enjoy connection. We're so we have to be preoccupied with our safety, you know, or so at least our body thinks so based Mm -hmm. on its, its experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. I know that that you do work with somatics as well. And, you know, when I've talked with people, even, you know, talked with my own therapist and, and with people about those identity things, like I love being creative. I'm a writer. I play the cello. That the things that would always block me from doing that were body sensations. Yeah. And I couldn't explain them. It was just yeah. like this intense like it would it would feel like similar things to anxiety mm-hmm. you know my body would get jumpy and quite literally it almost be like i was tossed into a hot pan and i'm mm-hmm. trying to jump out of it despite that mentally i'm like no i love doing this i yeah. love doing this stuff there's just something that felt so vulnerable about being close to creativity in some way or I guess, close to my sense of self. Yeah, you have to really slow down and go inside. I think about myself and my own healing and my survivorship. I'm a, I'm trained as a yoga teacher, but getting on my mat was so hard. Right? It was just so hard to even think about the sensation of the mat against my skin. <laughs> and, you know, I think then so as you were talking, I was just thinking about you know, we have our feelings and depending on who we are and where we are, where we have some level of awareness about those feelings. And sometimes when we're aware of them, then we have feelings about those feelings. And we start kind of going around and like, oh, I'm not doing all these things that are good for me or that I like, or, you know, and and then that becomes like a source of worry too, wondering if we're ever going to get back to you know, quote unquote, normal. Yeah, absolutely. I know for myself, it was this constant, like, you know, why aren't you doing these things that you love? And almost like, you know, early on, it was like this fear that that part of my brain was just like straight up broken, you know, and I think that it's also been one of my most appreciated things that has returned. I'm curious your thoughts on this, because my sense of it for myself has been, I kind of got to this place of just accepting that there wasn't going to be a returning back to something at first that was really scary because it felt like well one it was like does that mean that I have to accept that what I'm feeling and experiencing right now is like the new Kelsey obviously like that was painful and uncomfortable so this process of coming back to a sense of identity felt like I had to accept just the loss of the previous one and the sense of restructuring or rebuilding or just completely building anew. And that was very daunting at first. But I think since then, it's I definitely feel differently about that process. But what are some of your thoughts on that, that experience of like the loss of self and then having to rebuild or that, that space of acceptance of like, in order to move forward, I actually maybe have to accept that this is there's a close that has happened. I think one thing I've noticed, you know, is when it comes to conversations around trauma that we often leave out is that 
trauma is also a grief experience. It's an, I mean, you know, we've been talking about loss of identity this whole time. So I really kind of look to wisdom around grief and healing from grief when it comes to like, how do we integrate this experience and move forward? You know, I think that means that our trauma is something that we always carry with us, but it's not all of our experience. Our experience is complex. We are multifaceted people with all these different aspects of who we are. And so I try to think of it that way. And I also really like nature analogies. And so I think about controlled burns and that Mm. when those burns happen, it's like the same plants grow back unless you're intentionally planting other seeds. Like, you know, it's, it's the same ecosystem. It's the same plants, but there's like a starting over, I guess. So I think it's a both and. I I love that. And I love that analogy too, because I I remember as a kid, like road tripping and seeing controlled burns and just being so fascinated by that idea, because it's like, why would anyone deliberately be destructive and learning about how those things, like it's not only about clearing away, but it actually nourishes the soil so, so tremendously. And it created such a beautiful visual of like, you know, a controlled burn in the same plants still grow back of like yeah. the roots within us and, and the bulbs that exist within us are still there. And, and I think you're right. Like when I was thinking about even just what I was saying of the sense of I have to accept letting go of this, this previous self, like we have to accept this loss. It's like, well, there's, it's not like I've become I've done like a complete like transformation into someone completely different, but it is kind of more of some stuff has happened and a reset had to occur. Control burn just feels like the perfect analogy for describing that of like, you know, trauma happening to the land and a control burn kind of yeah. allows whatever that trauma to be, you know, processed in a way and yeah. and also resetting to a much more nourished and fertile place and Mm -hmm. the roots of what was what was there before is still there and can still still grow and and thrive possibly even better after that and Mm -hmm. so I do think about you know for myself and my own experience was like my own creativity I think flourished in a very different way I don't want to say better because it always feels weird when we say stuff like yeah trauma actually led me to such this wonderful path when it's like no 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 trauma recovery did Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i do think that there's like through having to go through a recovery process there's reclaiming of things that you know i may have taken for granted or not really nourished before and nurtured before and now it says though like the creativity i think is one of those things the thing that was like one of the most hard things to approach from a traumatized painful place became actually something that i feel myself grow in, in in such a tremendous way that I never would have imagined before, you know, like the depths that creativity can go to are just much more powerful now. Absolutely. I mean, like kind of what you're saying, it sounds like is that when you've lost something, then when you go back to it, your relationship can be deeper, because you sort of, you know, what's at stake, I guess. Mm-hmm. And like, And, you know, that can be a really long path. One of my favorite sayings that I use in a lot of the workshops I facilitate is that shit takes time. (laughs) And (laughs) I think we, yeah, like we have to, it does require some trust 
that like things are going to continue to unfold in the direction of in that direction. Yeah, I think it is kind of like to a certain extent, like some trust of like people have been through this before, like, and I've seen what they've gone through. And, and also there's this place of like, and there's no other place to go, you know, so I, I, we have to forge this path anyways. And I think, you know, with that coming back to like community as well, and how that can help this process, like how, how community helps like our controlled burn and like the replanting process what is some of your understanding or experiences around that around how connection to community can help us restore a sense of ourselves yeah i mean i think community i mean community can mean a lot of different things i think colloquially it describes a group of people that are connected by location or identity or interests But I think that community can also mean that I am in relationship with this person or these people in a particular way that allows me to be seen in my complexity. So these people can see me as somebody who has experienced terrible trauma and pain and suffering. And they can also see me as someone with this capacity for creativity and joyfulness and connection and all this stuff. It's like a really deep, like witnessing of our humanity. And so, you know, I think when it comes to actually building relationships and building community, we also have to grieve a lot of ideas around what we thought community would look like, whether that's, I thought my family would be my community, or I thought I'd have one best friend, right? That's one that I see a lot. Or I thought that I, you know, when I think about like my multiracial identity, I have a lot of folks who think, well, my community needs to look like this. And absolutely, there's so much value in seeing ourselves represented culturally in our community. That's extremely important. But it just sometimes takes like one or two good relationships to feel like, okay, I can do this. Like, because I've got these people on my side. Yeah, when you were talking about that, we also have to grieve some of the losses of community and the loss of definition of community. That just blew my mind and like put so many pieces together. I was like, yes. And in many ways, I was sitting there and I was like, where am I in that process right now? I feel like I bounce around sometimes going into like a lot of anger and, and, and the denial kind of pieces of like, no, no, it can be exactly how I say it is. That's also my Virgo nature just wants to like make it how I I'm a Virgo too, and I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying for 32 years and I've just given up on trying to force those things. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, you can't change your nature. (laughs) Yeah. We're always going to try to make it our way, but yeah, and especially that definition, I think, is is so key because I see this in myself and with my clients, too, like what you're saying of the way that we define community and what parameters we used to put on it or expectations, you know, and particular one that I find 
very commonly is people expecting that they're supposed to have this, for better or worse, this large group of social connections that Mm -hmm. they have this large group of friends, you know, that has friends upon friends and all this other stuff. And they're going out and doing everything together. And like Mm -hmm. their community is going to different events, celebrating different things, showing up at the holidays, like all of this stuff. I mean, and I think that's also something that like our popular media likes to also demonstrate for us because we really like those stories of like a group of friends hanging out in a coffee shop all day long talking about life. And in many ways, it feels like it it feels very safe and secure to have this kind of chosen family that is huge and vast. And I think for me and for a lot of people, I know my experience was feeling somewhat lost in those larger spaces of Mm -hmm. I had a lot of superficial or a little bit relationships where it was still that kind of like masking of here's Mm -hmm. what like the self that I'm safe with the self that's Mm -hmm. performing like nothing ever gets deep enough for people Mm -hmm. to really know me and that definitely even prior to my assault was very definitely like kind of hit a little hard of like I, Mm -hmm. I really wish like I was more known after being assaulted it was it felt like it was almost like became a demand of like in order for me to be able to function in relationships they need to be much more meaningfully deep and connected and vulnerable and that meant though having fewer of them and i think because we have this like social messaging like we should have these huge communities that look like we're all like really really close friends i have 25 close friends as opposed to like i have one or two you know i have a few people who know me we can also misinterpret that as a problem of like i don't have as many friends as i thought i would or i don't have this huge community that i was supposed to but then like when we look at it it's like well my relationships that i do have are so life-giving i love metaphors and so i'm still with the controlled burn metaphor it was like Ooh, so part of what gets burned are are like our community or our parameters because in many ways that we I think we discover how those parameters were much more restrictive and controlling you know and that after a controlled burn like it becomes so much more life-giving because like you get to pursue relationships that like feel more truthful and more real Mm -hmm. yeah that word parameters is such a good one like what parameters do we put on our ideas of relationships and community and how does that like, hold us back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think especially one of the things that comes up for me and for a lot of people is, and I think we're all like culturally going through some of these shifts of those parameters around how that informs then things like social activism and justice yeah. and our pursuit of change in a larger scale way you know that we have you know lots of communities of privilege that Mm kind of just withdrew from that and was like no like we can have relationships that are totally separate from the socio-political environment and discussing that and dialoguing about that because our privilege protects us from Mm -hmm. needing to have those conversations and that's not the case anymore or maybe more people are choosing to let go of holding fast to that protection and choosing more towards like we need to be pushing for change and that is now really changing a lot of people's communities and sense of community because we're finding things out about our friends our community members around some of these things and i think one of the things that 
I keep hearing from people and I feel as well that becomes such a barrier around community building with or connecting with people is apathy around mm. things. You know, when I hear somebody's somewhat apathetic or indifferent of like they don't really care, they don't think it matters or it's not that big of a deal, or as the kids say these days, not that deep. I'm like, what? <laughs> and that becomes something that can be very, can really change my relationship with folks. Absolutely. I mean, you want to feel like you're in community with people who share your values. And, and I think that example you shared is such an important one too, because I hear that and I think like, well, that person feels really disconnected you know, out of, there's a necessity there in their own inner world and system to stay disconnected from these things that, you know, the rest of us have a lot of feelings about. Yeah, I think that's really insightful that like, seeing somebody's apathy or indifference towards these issues, or towards issues in general, is a sign of disconnection and isolation themselves, not Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the work that you provide for survivors, for allies, for people who are going through this kind of process? Absolutely. So in my work, I support multiracial people who want to embody their identities more fully and build community, build relationships where they can be their full selves, where they don't have to hide parts of who they are in order to belong. And I also help interracial couples build relationships where they can be their full selves, where they can talk about identity and culture and, you know, all these things that might be showing up in their relationships. And, you know, I'm a somatic therapist, so I use a lot of body-based methods, a lot of mindfulness and all that good stuff. But I'm really a trauma therapist by training. That's kind of how I got here. And I actually started, it feels like my career (laughs) in college as a peer educator on my campus, specifically providing the campus community with education about sexual assault prevention, domestic violence prevention, how to support survivors. So that's just near and dear to my heart. I sort of feel like those of us who, you know, work in this field sort of have this kinship, you know, like always. Mm -hmm. And And so, I mean, everything that I do is really trauma-informed. And so, you know, survivors are always welcome. And I try to make, you know, everything I do a nice soft landing for folks. But yeah, looking towards, you know, the future months and years, really focusing specifically on multiracial people and interracial couples. That's awesome. That's so amazing. And I think especially like you're you're kind of bringing together such a beautiful cluster of like just healing offers of that creative community building as well as the somatics and connecting to the body and and the way of healing the body through trauma and trauma Mm -hmm. recovery type of methodologies and that trauma-informed lens I think is fantastic and it sounds like you've been doing community-based work for a very long time Yeah, yeah, I have. I feel really lucky that I got to do that so early on in my life. And it's definitely stayed with me. Awesome. That's amazing. Any final words that you have for survivors or allies who are listening to this right now before we close? You know, the thing that I say to my clients, and I think it absolutely applies here, is that you make sense. 
you belong and you can build relationships where you feel free. Those are three truths that I hold really deeply and I hope others can take that and run with it. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lovely discussion. Thank you all for joining us in this episode and connecting with our badass community. Thank you to Sam Valentine and her awesome team at Fast Forward Productions for producing, editing, publishing, and all around making this podcast possible. If you found something in this episode that resonated with you, please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform. This quick but meaningful action supports the show and helps make us more visible to other survivors and allies who might be looking for support and connection. I love connecting with listeners, survivors, and allies. So if you found something in this episode useful or interesting, please screenshot the episode and share it on your stories and tag me at Initiated Survivor. An important and final note, while I am a clinical psychologist, this episode and podcast is not a replacement for mental health care. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Neither the host nor the guests are rendering mental health or other professional advice. And this podcast does not constitute an established professional relationship. If you are looking for mental health care or professional help, please seek it out. We have some links in the show notes that may assist with this, or you can contact your insurance carrier for a referral.